Let's get Luke chapter 7 and verse number 31 to begin with. Luke 7, verse number 31. And we'll read just a handful of verses down to verse 35, and then we'll have a word of prayer. And this morning I'd like to preach to you a sermon called The Unteachable, The Unteachable, And so far in Luke chapter 7, especially this middle portion, Jesus has been speaking quite plainly and telling people about John the Baptist as we studied a few weeks ago and what uh, they should have expected. And then last week we looked at verse 29 and 30 and how some people admitted that God was wrong or God was right rather and they were wrong. And then today this is a, a sharp passage. Sharp words, verse 31, And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You see the exclamation mark? He really, he really slammed home that point. And then Jesus throws in this sarcasm at the end of verse 35, but wisdom is justified of all her children. So with that, let's bow our heads and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. We are able to gather. We're able to sing your praises. And Lord, uh, we we can rightfully sing redeemed how I love to proclaim it from from this day all the way through eternity. That's what we're going to sing about when we get to heaven. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for going to the cross for us. and, And Lord, making this possible, making this worth it to come to church to learn from you, to sit at your feet now for a few minutes. And Lord, I believe you had some, some sharp and difficult things to say. Help us to take it this morning. Help us to learn. Help me to preach, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The frustration that Jesus is feeling is coming out in this passage. Have you ever seen somebody that you care about? Have you ever watched them have a bad day? Right? Doesn't that hurt you? You get concerned when you see them having one of those sideways kind of days where just nothing seems to be working out. You can see it on their face. You can hear it in the sound and tone of their voice. And whenever it's somebody you deeply care about, the natural response is, hey, what's wrong? Right? It, did I say something? Is there something I can do? That, that's the natural thing. And I think if, if we are lovers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and we see that he's frustrated about something we ought to then lean in and go Lord what's going on here is there something I have done to add to this frustration Jesus has now been watching this generation for the better part of a year respond to his own ministry we're not quite sure how long John the Baptist had been preaching maybe five up to maybe ten years but there's enough of a sample for Jesus to make a comment about, a general comment about that generation of people. And the comment was, yo, you guys are hard-headed. You guys are difficult. And, and I think when you finish the gospel, you find out they were just unteachable. 
Now, the, the real issue here is not their intellect. These, these people were very smart. They were the doctors of the law, the Pharisees. You know, some of these folks were very well-to-do intellectually, had a lot of education and so forth. The problem wasn't their head, it was their heart. They claim, they profess themselves to be wise. Does that, does that sound biblical to you? They profess themselves to be wise. Can somebody help me finish that verse from Romans 1? They became fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They said that they were the children of wisdom. Right? Wisdom in the Old Testament, it comes actually, the Hebrew word for wisdom is a, is a, it's a female gendered word. So, and even the Greeks, in their philosophy, they thought that wisdom was a, a feminine entity. So these people were claiming to be the children of wisdom. Wisdom is our mother. What a, what a statement. We are the very fruit of wisdom. We come from wisdom. And Jesus is looking at how they are reasoning and says, okay, we're not going to blame wisdom for your nonsense. That's verse 35. It's sarcasm. Sarcasm is a sharp statement that is made to express the irony of a situation. And Jesus is known to use sarcasm when appropriate. This is not the only case in the Bible where he does. But he's meant, it's, it's used to show just how balachlech, how ridiculous their thinking was. John had a specific diet. What's, what's the conclusion? Oh, he has a devil. Whoa, how'd you get from the diet to the devil? Jesus sat down and had a meal with sinners. Oh, he's a glutton and, and, a, and a drunkard. Whoa, how'd we get to there? And, and these things, are, these are just ridiculous outcomes. And Jesus is saying, we're not going to blame wisdom for your thinking. If anything, we need to blame your heart. In another place, the Bible tells us that Jesus, he was dealing with this religious crowd and he looked there, you know, he had a room full of people. He had just about to do a miracle. And, and the Bible says, when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, then he says to that man, stretch forth thine, thine hand. But I want you to hear this because this is the part, I think, of the Bible that gets ignored in a lot of churches. We like the meek, gentle Jesus that came to love us and die for us. But, but part of Jesus as well, he is able to be frustrated. He is able to feel anger. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. There is a way to be angry and not sinful. A amen. And Jesus is a great example of that. But notice when he's angry, he looked on them with anger. He's looking at them going, oh. he's upset. But at the same time, it says being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. So his anger is mixed with sorrow. His anger is mixed with sorrow. It's breaking his heart that their hearts are so hard. Now, I don't know about you, when you read this passage, right, there's a part of me that says, well, then bless God, I'm going to look around at people that have hard hearts and get angry as well. Right? I'll just, I'll just follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Angry at you, angry at you, angry. <laughs> okay. 
if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, let's do this then. Let's first look inward and say, Lord, are you grieved for the hardness of my heart? When the Lord looks on you, would he do it with anger or pleasure? I think that's a fair question. And this will go directly with how teachable you are. These folks, no matter what Jesus tried, no matter what John the Baptist tried, no matter what God sent them, they would not change. They wouldn't. We sing a song sometimes. We don't sing it a lot here, but it is in the hymnal. We've sang it a few times. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like the hills. I mean, that's... Now, I understand that that song is talking about taking a stand for the truth and, you know, in Christ. But I think sometimes we get stuck in our own egos and pride and go, well, I got it all figured out. Professing themselves to be wise, becoming unteachable is the most single most foolish thing you can do. Because as long as you're on this planet, there's a great verse in Malachi chapter 3 where God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed, right? I am the Lord, I change not. So unless your name is Jehovah, you should change. Does that make sense? I'm the Lord, I change not. All right, that makes sense. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever because there's nothing to improve upon. But you and I are not the Lord, ergo, simple logic, I'm not God, therefore I need to keep changing, stay teachable. Something is grieving the heart of the Lord Jesus, and immediately that makes me want to look deep in that passage and go, Lord, am I part of the problem? Is there anything I'm doing that would make me similar to the men of that generation? So let's just look at the passage again, and and I want to point out just a few things. The first thing I believe that bothered the Lord so much here is in verses 31 and 32. The Lord said, whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation. Now, this is not a men's meeting. Gentlemen, I'm not trying to pick on you, but there it stands. So, here we go. Whereunto shall I liken the men of this generation, and to what are they like? Verse 32, they are like unto children. Ah, that's sharp. The men are like children. I must admit, it was tempting. I started to put a sermon together just on that. Let's just talk about how men sometimes, many times, often act like children. That's another sermon, maybe for another day. But in what way specifically does he mean they're like children? Well, you know, usually with a child, if you entertain them enough, they will do what you want them to do. Is this true? If you give them a big enough promise, okay, let's just do this thing, and then I'm going to take you for rumais, or Whatever, right? Ice cream for you non-Afrikaners. As if any of you don't know what room ice is. But, right, if, if we make it entertaining enough, children usually fall in line with it. And if that doesn't work, we try to scare them in line. Listen, Booty, if you don't, don't make me pull the car up, right? One of those kind of things. Don't make me come in there. <gasps> okay, y'all, Paul, y'all. And then they get, they get down to business. But then, you see, those kind of kids are reasonable. 
You can reason with them. You can teach them they need some help. But they'll listen eventually, not this crowd. These children that he's referring to are way beyond your normal little child behavior. This is a stubborn, difficult, ill-mannered child that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, they're not going to pay attention. Point one, they're stubborn. They're just stubborn. Verse 32, they're likened to children sitting in the marketplace, calling one to another, saying, we have piped unto you, and you have not danced. Well, piping, that's something you would hear at a wedding. It's time to dance. Come on, this is what the situation calls for. Nothing sinful about this. Let's, if somebody's blowing the pipe, let's dance. Right? Here's the entertaining. Here's this big promise. This is going to be fun. Come on, let's do it. And that child just sits and goes, no. I don't want to. Okay, well, let's try the other side of this. We have mourned unto you, and you have not wept. Well, that's what you would see maybe at a funeral. <clears throat> this is very serious. This is heartbreaking. And that child sits there and says, I don't care. No. Okay, God's tried the happy approach. God's tried the serious, somber approach. Nothing, nothing, nothing will move this generation. You know, I wasn't going to, let me not take long on this. I'm just going to put the thought in your mind. There is a biblical character that embodies the word stubborn. And it's the donkey. If you, if you can tolerate the word jackass is the biblical term, right? That just no matter what you say, <clears throat> that donkey is just going to move about doing what he feels like doing. You can slap him. You can entice him. It doesn't matter. That donkey has his mind made up. I, I, the reason I don't want to go down the path of the donkey is because Jesus is using the metaphor of a child, not a donkey. But just to get the point home, don't be a donkey. <laughs> you know, there are certain things children just don't want to do. You parents, this is your chance to give a good, healthy amen right now. Children, they, they don't like to bathe, generally. Right? Generally. Girls are usually better at it than boys. What is it about boys? I, I, can, I have a biblical answer to that, by the way. Men, we were created out of the dust of the ground. Isn't that right? Come on now, this is biblical. you got to say amen to this. This is true. Men, we came out of the dirt, right? So, man, we feel comfortable with that all over us. But you ladies did not come from the dirt. Right? Right? So, so, so the lady's a little more delicate, a little more sensitive to that. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not uh, speaking ill of that. I, I, that's just we're different. We're different. But generally, kids, you know, not crazy about bath time. Unless you throw enough toys in the bathtub. You know, some of you adults are getting uncomfortable because you still have toys in the bathtub. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but I like bubble baths. <laughs> Help yourself. I don't care. I'm not preaching against it, just making a point. You know, generally, kids, they, they don't want to eat their vegetables. Now, again, we can talk about how men are like children. <laughs> Listen, yellow burmensa, hunderfleis, 
That is not vegetable. <laughs> that's something I learned when I first got here. You know, there's the bryflace, that, that's the, you know, the, 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 the fillet, and the lamb choppies and what, what, and then there's wunder op die bry. Oh, that, that's the vegetables. No, 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 that's, that's not vegetables. Right? They don't want to eat their vegetables. They don't want to brush their teeth. What is it about kids and teeth? Right? Maybe just, I don't know, they can't smell their own breath or something. I don't know. They don't want to do homework. Where's my daughter? Amen. She's homeschooled. <laughs> All her work is homework. <laughs> so you know what we do as parents is we try to make those things fun. And if that doesn't work, we, we, we get serious and go, hey, hey, now I've told you enough. If that doesn't get done, right, then this. Here comes the consequence. You know, God had tried that with this generation. Jesus came and, and tried to be friendly. John came and tried to be stern and there was a, a small portion of the population that said, okay, you know, they reacted. We saw it in verse 29. They justified God. They baptized with the baptism of John. They, but, the, but the vast majority, what defined that generation was this stubborn attitude of, I don't care what you say. You're not doing it my way. If I were the preacher, I wouldn't say it like that. So I'm not going to do what you're saying. And that was the attitude. I think we've all seen a child, if not our own child, sit there shaking their head going, no, no, no. Moms, dads, isn't that lovely when it's your child in the middle of you know, the checkers or the you know, pick and pay that, you know, no, no. <laughs> isn't it wonderful to watch parents try to overcome that? <laughs> that that's your own sitcom, you know, your own comedy. That just watching the, the mom and dad just turn beet red going, what do we say to Booty and Sissy? It's great when you have a big bursian of a, of a man. He just walks by and picks the child up. <laughs> One hand, come. <laughs> One kid was acting up during a church service one day, and just I'm, mom and dad had tried everything. Sit down, be quiet. After church, we'll take you to this special thing. Nothing worked. Oh, stop it, I'm going to take you. Nothing worked. Just kept messing around at church. <laughs> Finally, dad got tired of it. Dad picked that kid up under his arm, Right? Kid's head is this way, feet dangling this way, and that dad walks, he starts walking down the aisle, out the back door, he's going to straighten that thing out. And that boy, as he's heading out the door, he turns his head around, he goes, y'all pray for me! But isn't that the perfect picture of how God has to deal with us so many times? He tells us and He tells us. He tries to be nice about it. He tries to be straightforward about it. He, he can bring the rod. He can bring meekness. God tries anything and everything to get our attention. God sent the very best that He had. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the number two, John the Baptist. Right? The greatest prophet born among women, naturally born, right? So you got Jesus and John, and it didn't work. And that breaks the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Breaks it so much that it makes him angry. And says, you bunch of hard, 
hard-headed, hard-hearted, froward people. I'm using the biblical word froward. For those of you that may be not familiar with that Old English, the word froward is what we would say, you jerk. So you'll, you'll go through your Bible, you'll find the word froward several times. Just plug in the word jerk and you'll see it fits every time. This generation, they wanted, now listen to this part, please. See if maybe you find yourself relating to this a little too much. They wanted the world to change. Right? The men of this generation, all they would do is sit around complaining about how the Romans were too hard on the Israelites and how we should be in the land. It's our land. It was promised to us by God. The world is wrong. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's everybody else's fault. They wanted everybody else to change. They even wanted the Messiah himself to change. But they would not change. What's the problem? Well, it's the government, and it's this guy, and it's that guy, and it's my spouse, and it's my boss, and everybody else is wrong and needs to change, but what about you? Stubborn. Just stubborn. The real big problem with a stubborn man is that he has no desire to learn. You realize that, right? Because he thinks... I have it all figured out. There's nothing I need to change. That's the definition of stubborn. I'm just fine the way I am. And if that's your attitude there, you're unteachable. And no matter what song and dance or threat is given, there you are. That not only breaks the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it it frustrates. It angers Him. Point one, they're stubborn. Point two, This group, in verses 33 and 34, they gave silly excuses. Now listen, I, you know, excuses, sometimes we would say there's a reason I'm doing this, and then other people might look at that reason that you're giving and say, that's just an excuse, right? Not so much a reason, but an excuse. But you got to admit, there are some times you ask somebody, why didn't you do this or that, or why did you do it? And, and what you hear is just so completely, and, and I love the Afrikaans word, balaklak. It just sounds more ridiculous than ridiculous. Balaklak. <laughs> You're just listening to that going, really? Is that what, you really think that's a good reason slash excuse not to do what you just heard? Is that how you're excusing your behavior? In the passage, right, it says John didn't come eating bread or drinking wine. Okay. He had a special diet. John didn't go around preaching that everybody had to have the same diet. That was John's diet. John probably didn't meet you at the door when you came to his church. Wink, wink. It's in the wilderness, right? There's no door. You know that, right? Okay. So some of you are like, he had a door? No door. But, but John probably wasn't the most social guy. Would that be fair? I think a fair conclusion, probably not the most social guy, and I say that because, verse 34, Jesus was rather social. Now, let's be clear about this. Jesus did not go to a questionable place to have a meal and get friendly with sinners in a sense of tolerating what they do. Jesus sat down at Matthew's house. He went to another church member's house, one of his disciples, and had dinner with other publicans and other sinners that Matthew had invited for the sole purpose of telling them that they were sick 
and needed to repent, right? That they were spiritually sick and needed the great physician. So see, understand, in both cases, John has a, a peculiar diet. Fair enough. He's eating locust and wild honey. He's dressed in camel skins. He's a bit strange. He's a social outcast or oddball. But come on, to, to take those facts and jump to the conclusion he has a devil. Why? Because he doesn't dress like you? Because he doesn't eat the same things? How, how does that equal he has a devil? And then for Jesus to sit down and have a meal, Jesus is not overeating. He's not overdrinking. Jesus is simply sitting down having a meal and they exaggerate that and use it as not just an excuse, but, but let's be honest, a silly excuse for why they don't want to follow what these men are saying. Both men are preaching the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preached, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John pointed everybody to Jesus and said, there's the Messiah, the one coming after me is greater than I. I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose his, his shoes. That's how great this man is. And Jesus steps up and also proclaims, I'm the one that you've read about in the law. Go check it. Every jot and tittle, you can check me out. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm here not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. They're preaching the same message. Repent, get ready. The kingdom is just here right now being offered. What is wrong with their message? Nothing. The fault that is found is a trumped up charge. This guy has a devil. But how did you get to that conclusion? This guy's a drunkard and a, and a glutton. But what evidence is there of that? These are things you've heard from somebody else, from somebody else. It's just a rumor that circulated, and now you cling on to these silly excuses for not doing something for what you know is right. Isn't it true that we love to blame others for our disobedience? That's what they're doing. They're blaming God's two best, Jesus and John, going, it's their fault that I'm not repenting. One has a devil, the other one's licentious. Really? Such behavior continues to this day. Rather than listening to what is being preached and reacting to that, things such as this get circulated. Well, you know, I couldn't really enjoy the service and couldn't really pay attention because the lighting, you know, the lighting there in that church was just weird. <laughs> the lighting. You know, that guy preaches too loud. You know the nice thing about our church right now, these speakers are so unpredictable. Guys, it's not the <laughs> AV table. It is not. It's not them. They, they have done everything. They go above and beyond every Sunday to get this sorted out. These speakers, maybe they have a devil. They just go up and down. They do on their own, right? AV table, is that amen? They just go up and down out of nowhere. So... You know, if you think it's too loud, just give it a minute. It'll go down. <laughs> Might go off. <laughs> we don't know. Well, he preaches too loud. I, I like this one. You know, that was a good sermon, but it was too long. Okay, so, so that's a reason not to do anything about it? I, I, what, you know what happened to me about a month ago, about six weeks ago? Somebody actually came and said, why are you preaching so short? And I thought, oh, don't go down that path. I can fix that. <laughs> I can fix that. I had a lady one time, I was just starting off as a missionary, 
I was in Fort Worth, Texas, actually, where I grew up, preaching at Sandy Lane Baptist Church. And I, I was there at a missions conference, and it was my turn to preach that night. This old lady, about 80 years old, kind of scooted her way next to me on the pew. And she said, have you, uh, Brother Mike, have you ever heard of Pastor Henderson? I said, no, ma'am, I haven't. You know, he's a great preacher. I said, well, praise the Lord, I don't know him. You know, you know what's so great about his sermons? Every one of them, they're just 20 minutes. <laughs> At 20 minutes, he's done every time. I love his preaching. All right, have a nice night, Brother Mike. <laughs> okay, message received. <laughs> At the 20-minute mark, she was going to shut off because <laughs> the Holy Ghost can't work after 20 minutes. <laughs> You know, I didn't like that church. When I walked in, nobody shook my hand. You know, that's not an intentional oversight. You understand that. We'd like to be able to greet and get to know everybody, but is that really a reason to turn down the sermon? You know, that pastor's never had me over for a bry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You bring the meat, I'll fire up the bride. We can fix that. But, but is that really a reason for you to go on for 10 years not doing something with what you've heard? Is that really a good excuse? Really? God help me today. I can only do one or the other. I've actually had people say, you know, that was a good sermon, but I just can't accept it because you didn't wear a tie. My answer to that, to anybody watching on YouTube or anybody here, why didn't he wear a tie? Uh, this is Africa, waka waka, hey, hey. That's my answer to that. It is. It's hot in here. I have a fan blowing on me, and it takes a little bit of energy to stand up here and preach. I get hot. I sweat a lot. Maybe you guys don't know this. My sister is unable to sweat. Yeah, she has a condition. She cannot sweat. I got double. Now, 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 that's what she told me. That's not like a doctor told me that, but I believe that. My all-time favorite, my all-time favorite. I, I'm not going to do anything about what I heard. I'm not going to go back to this or that church. It's not just our church. Any church has this because there are hypocrites in that church. Newsflash, there are hypocrites in your home, and you're still going to go home. <laughs> I hope. You know, isn't it kind of strange? People want to get healthy. They, go, they join a gym, right, sometimes. And, and, and I want to get healthy, go to the gym. Have you ever asked around at the gym to find out what people do to improve their health? Because most of the people at the gym do not eat very good. And they're not working out properly. They just go to the gym because they wanted a new set of clothes and they want to hang out with other people that are trying to be healthy. But they're really not, they, they cheat on their diet, they cheat on their sets, they're not lifting, you know, the full rep of weight. All of that stuff, there are hypocrites at the gym. But you still go. But yes, okay, I get it. There are people in church that don't live up to the Bible. And, and some know that they're not doing it, doing it anyway. We, we pray for them that before the Lord comes back, their heart gets soft enough and they realize just how wrong they are. But what's even worse than that is saying, well, because there's hypocrites in the church, I'm not going to get involved 
be obedient to God, and apply what God told me in His Word. That is such a pathetic, silly excuse. Well, they're hypocrites in the church. We're not asking you to accept them or their behavior. This morning, what we want you to do is turn your eyes upon Jesus, not them. May I ask you to hold your place here? Come to 1 Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13 and verse 8. You say, well, preacher, I, you know, I've been hearing you say things like, you must be born again, or there are certain things in my life that I need to stop, certain sinful behaviors. I've heard you mention them, and you know, maybe it's an anger issue, or maybe it is gluttony or wine-bibbing, right, drunkard, and, or, or maybe it's a corrupt business practice that you've been doing for a while. Maybe you just complain too much. Or, you know, we try to cover a multitude of things. We're going through the, the Gospel of Luke verse by verse, so you know we've touched on a lot of things. If you want more specific things, come to Bible school. Come tonight to the husbands and wives meeting, right? We'll deal specifically with things. You say, you know, I've heard you say that, and I would do something about that, but, oh, be very careful how you finish that sentence. Be, be careful what you say next, because there is no excuse for disobedience. Never, ever, there's not one excuse for disobedience. You say, well, an emergency came up and it wasn't my fault. Then that's not disobedience. If something came up beyond your control that you had to deal with, then what you're supposed to do, what God expects you to do, is deal with the emergency. Right? That's not disobedience. That's, that's, that's life. But that's not what we're dealing with. We're talking about things where you know you could have done it, you should have done it, and you found you allowed something else to push you away from doing it. There's no excuse for disobedience. But let me show you a man who loved to make excuses. 1 Samuel 13. Just quickly, we'll look at Saul, King Saul. Verse number 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Right? So the seven days had just passed, and the people were starting to move away from preparation for the battle verse 9 and Saul said bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings and he offered the burnt offering oh Saul you're not a priest you're a king you have no business doing that That was a big mistake he overstepped his bounds verse 10 and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering behold Samuel came isn't that always how it is <laughs> he waited and waited and waited and right when he decided okay whatever we'll just we'll just go on and do it bam then Samuel shows up. Preacher shows up. Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. In Saul, Saul's mind, everything's fine. I, I've, I've done everything that should be done. Verse 11, and Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. Saul, why did you do something you have no business doing? Well, it was the people. You know, it, it, it wasn't me, it was them. I saw the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed. Well, see, uh, the reason I was disobedient and the reason I did something I shouldn't have, it was the people. 
and then you, preacher, preacher, you said you'd be here seven days, and I was counting. And you were a little late, preacher, so thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. It was the people, it was the preacher, it was the Philistines. Saul, why'd you do that? Well, it wasn't my fault. He blamed ev- literally everybody else. Verse 12, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. What's the characteristic that God can build a kingdom on? Doing what you're told. But not, not Saul, stubborn. Bless God, I got my own way of doing it. And if, if I do it wrong, it's not my fault, it's everybody else's fault. Excuses. This is why I had to do it. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 14. In this chapter, Saul's been commanded to wipe out the Amalekites. And rather than do that, you might remember he keeps back a few. Verse number 14. Well, forgive me, let's start at 13. And Samuel came near to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Oh, he's so proud of himself, patting himself on the back. Look, look, preacher, I did it. Look at me, I got I'm, I'm walking with God. Look at me. Now, now what he's doing is, is he's trying to please the Lord through his own efforts, his own wisdom, making it up as he goes. Verse 14, Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? The command was to kill all those animals. So what's this ruckus in the back? Verse 15, Saul said, They, somebody else did it. Wasn't me, wasn't me, preacher. Wasn't my fault. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul jumps in when, when the obedience happens. Oh, we did that. But the disobedience, that was the people. That wasn't me. They go back and forth in Samuel in verse number 17. When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? He says, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, and you depended on the Lord to tell you what to do, that's when God exalted you. As soon as you got this hard heart and this attitude of, listen, I'll do it my way. My way is just as good as your way. That's when everything started to crash. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You know what God could do with Saul? This stubborn, silly excuse-making man? Nothing. He could do nothing. Because Saul was not willing to learn. He was not teachable. He said, that's it. I've got to take the kingdom away from you. And from this point on in the book of 1 Samuel, it's just down and down until Saul is out. You know, in Romans chapter 1, we read a passage where it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Do you know how that passage ends? 
They change the truth of God into a lie. They worship and serve the creature more than the creator. And it says God gives them up to a reprobate mind. Because God shows them over and over again, I'm the true God, here's the truth about me. And over and over again, they say, no, 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 God, we, we understand the universe, we understand life, we got it figured out, we don't need you to tell us how this goes. And God says, okay, enough, I'm just going to step back and, okay, you, you go ahead and live your life without me. And God gives up. He gives them up. Why? They are no longer teachable. No matter what God tries, and believe me, He tries, but the multitude of His efforts get turned down, and God says, okay, standing back. Now, here's the beautiful thing about God. Even when God says, I give up, I'm done, I'll stand back, He's still there. So at any point, if that sinner wants to say, oh, okay, okay, God, I was wrong. You're right. I'm sorry then God would grant them that opportunity to repent. God would take them back. But there does come a point where God says, listen, wisdom has reached out and you're just not willing to take hold. So it's there. The offer's there. You know what Jesus did for this evil and adulterous generation? Right? He says the men of this generation. You know what he did for them? They came and said, we seek a sign. Give us a sign that you're the, really the Messiah. This is two years into his ministry. All he's been doing are hundreds of miracles, preaching sermon after sermon. He's obviously the Messiah. And they say, give us a sign. He says, no sign shall be given unto this evil and adulterous generation. You know what Jesus said? Nothing I can do. I've said all that needed to be said. I've done what needed to be done. I've tried to get a hold of you and you just keep turning it down because you're too smart for me. You know what Jesus did do? He said, there's one more sign that you're going to get, but everybody in the world gets this sign so you also get to have the sign. The sign of the prophet Jonas. For as he was three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It was the resurrection. He said, you'll get to know about that. But other than that, I am not going to come down personally and start answering all your questions because you've just been stubborn. You know, sometimes I get asked the question, what's the best way to minister to an atheist? And that's actually a great question. There's lots of things you can say, but one, one question that seems to get their attention, ask them this, what would it take to convince you? What would it take to convince you? I've seen some of the, can I say, top minds, you know, sometimes they get into debates and some of these guys like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and Daniel Dennett, some of these men, they, they've asked them that question. People have said, what would it take to convince you? And their answer is, I don't know. I don't think anything could, can convince me. Can, can I just quickly walk you through what's happening here? It's not an intellectual thing. The problem is, if there's a God, then there are standards. Right? God, God would say this is right and this is wrong. Right? If there's a God, then there's right and wrong. And if there's a God and there's right and wrong and you've done wrong, you're going to be judged. And in order to avoid that judgment, you would need to change. That's why they don't want to believe in a God. It's not a matter of giving a solid argument, intellectual stuff. That, that's really not the issue. The issue is I don't want to change. I like the way I am. 
Now, I, I know, I, listen, I'm, I'm not preaching to a room full of atheists. I know that. But do you hear how the principle of that might still be true for a lot of Bible-believing people? Where they say, on this point or that, I don't want to change. What would it take to convince you? I don't know about you. I want to have a soft enough heart and a sensitive enough spirit that if I recognize Jesus is not happy, then with all my strength, I want to avoid what frustrates him. Does that make sense? You want to walk with the Lord, right? Then you need to do so in agreement with him. And if something is grieving him, run from it. This is my third point. Be sensitive. How can we avoid getting on Jesus' bad side, if I maybe can say it like that? Be sensitive. Don't be stubborn. Don't use silly excuses. Be sensitive. Now, sensitive to a, a, a specific thing. I don't mean cry at the end of a romantic movie, okay? I, I don't mean that kind of sensitive. How many of you know this verse in Romans? Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. You know the verse? Okay. Look at verse 32 again. We've piped, you didn't dance. We've mourned, you didn't weep. There's another verse I'm sure you're familiar with. Hebrews 4 verse 15 talks about how Jesus is our great high priest. And it says there, a very powerful statement, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In the book of Isaiah, it's said a slightly different way. He is afflicted with our afflictions. So when we are hurting, he is hurting. When we rejoice, he rejoices. You know this verse where a sinner repents and the angels in heaven rejoice? Heaven rejoices because we're rejoicing. Somebody just repented. They're very happy. God, listen, is moved by your heart. Your heart, your attitude, your life affects God. How about we turn that around? What if we were to say, Lord, I will be touched with the feeling of your afflictions. When something God is pricking your heart, when God, when your heart is broken, then I also want to mourn along with you. If you're sad about something, God, I want to be sad about that. And God, if you're rejoicing about something, I want to be on the same page as you. I want to rejoice about that. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. So when God begins to blow the pipe and make that sound of joy, let's rejoice with Him. If God is heartbroken about something, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit and say, this, this is worth a tear or two. This is worth a smile. Would to God we could get on the same page. This is what walking in the Spirit is all about. It's being aware of how God feels about what's going on in our lives. The book of Proverbs says, If a wise man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. You know what the point is? It doesn't matter if you get horribly angry, outraged, or if you laugh and try to make light of it, doesn't matter. If it's a foolish man, they just won't get it. There's no rest. You can try and try. I do not want to make the Lord weary. 
You say, but God never gets tired. Not physically, but he does get tired of us when we're stubborn and constantly gives him silly excuses why we don't want to fall in line with what he's been telling us to do. I don't want to do that to the Lord. I don't want God to back off from me. I don't want him to put his hands in the air and say, I've tried everything to get your attention, Mike, and you just won't budge. Oh, Lord, if there's something that you want me to change, play the pipe. Make that sound of mourning, whatever it is, God, that you need to do to get my attention, but show me so that I can put a smile on your face. I don't want to make you back off from me. If Jesus is upset and feeling grief, I'll do whatever I can to change that. How about you? If you're here this morning and you've never been born again, God looks down and that breaks his heart. He doesn't want you, he, he does not want you to walk out the door without the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That would break his heart. Now, if you've never been saved, you can change that this morning. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to invite the Lord Jesus Christ in to be your Savior. Say, you know what? I thought I had it all figured out, but God's been working on me. Time for me to change. So God, I'm walking out different than I came in. I don't want to be stubborn anymore. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's take a moment or two to pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Pianist will come and play softly. And will not take long. We'll be mindful. God, help us to be sensitive. What is it that the Lord has been dealing with you about? And you just are not willing to yield. Week in and week out, that's the one thing that God keeps putting His finger on in your heart. Friend, not one of us is going to walk out of the door going, there, got it all figured out. You know, the, the best thing you can walk out with today is a teachable spirit. Now I say that, l let me correct myself. If you're not saved, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the best thing. But I think that comes along with a teachable spirit. This group that we looked at today, that generation, unteachable. You cannot help people that do not want to be helped. Do you want to be helped? Some have come to pray. If you'd like to take a moment at the altar, maybe come down and just say, Lord, this is me trying to break free from my comfort zone and I, I, I want to be movable, Lord. I don't want to be stubborn.
I don't want to be that donkey. So Lord, here I am. Search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As you read your Bible this week, folks, as you read, before you you start, just pray. real, Real short prayer. God, show me what I can change. That's a great way to approach your Bible. God, show me what I can change. God, give me something to work on today. Boy, that's a great way to get something out of your Bible. Great way to come to church. Before I close the service, let me me just ask quickly. If you're here and you've never been saved, we'd love to help you with that. Perhaps if, if you have questions, listen, if you... If you want to ask Christ to save you, you're able to do that right where you're at. Just call upon His name from your heart. But if you have some questions, maybe you'd like some help with that. No one's looking, okay? So we're not going to embarrass you. But you can slip your hand up. You can put it right back down. Just, this is your way of saying, Preacher, can I get some help with that? Anybody like that? Say, Preacher, I, I could use a little help. Got a question or two. We'll just take you aside quietly. We won't embarrass you. Anybody like that? You know, we had two people saved last week just from that. If you need to be saved, you can do it this week. I appreciate your honesty. Father, we do thank you. You are incredibly patient. Your long suffering, well, it is mind blowing. Thank you. For not giving up so easily on us. But Lord, we don't want to push your buttons. We, we don't want to provoke you. We, we don't want to tempt the Lord. Lord, if there's something we have done to anger you, to grieve your heart, please, Lord, put your finger on it. We want to change it. We, none of our excuses are good. You're worth our very best effort. So Lord, help us. Help us. You know we're frail. Lord, help us this week to be teachable. Thank You, Father, for letting us meet today. Have Your hand upon us as we go through the rest of it. We look forward to what You'll continue to do. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.